get rolling. Well, listen, hey, for those of you guys that don't know me, um, I am not a uh, professional speaker or anything like that. I'm going to do my best to relay to you what God's given us today. Um, I don't come from a religious background. I don't come from someone who was raised in church. Uh, I got saved at the age of 34 years old. Um, up to that day, I'd never had a Bible opened up in front of me. I'd never heard the gospel before, even though I grew up in North Carolina. My parents made, or my mom made, a conscious choice that I wouldn't be raised in church because she saw so much hypocrisy in church. And having seen that hypocrisy, she was like, you know what, I'm not going to do that to my kids. So I'm going to keep them out of that mess. Um, and thank God that the Lord sent somebody into our home. Uh, and when I was 34, my wife was 30. Um, and... Uh, Changed our life, August 11th, 2001. So it's been 20 years, so praise God for that. Um, but uh, So I'm going to do my best to relay to you um, what God's got for us today. We've been working through the book of Joshua. Today is our 41st message in the book of Joshua. We've gotten all the way to chapter number 6. We're killing it. And uh, But... What's going to happen today is we're going to actually pick, we're going to, a little bit of a reminder of where we kind of came from. Because what's happening with the book of Joshua is the fact this is the, the Israelites going into Canaan. They're trying to take a land that's been promised to them. And what's happened up to this point is Joshua has led them up to the city of Jericho. Jericho is the very first obstacle they're going to come to. They're going to try to take back this land that was promised to them is now possessed by the Canaanites. And God's design and God's plan is that they are going to take this back. And the very first obstacle is this city of Jericho. And what we'll find is their victory here is well as every victory they've had before this and every victory that will come will only come through the power and the influence of Almighty God. And just as a side note for all of us, true victory in life is only going to come by way of the influence and power of Almighty God. Amen. Uh, and so as we look at this message from last week, the message last week was called Judgment Day. Now we looked in that message, there was two things we looked at. We looked at the root of conflict, where it came from, and then we looked at the resolution of conflict. Now, to consider the root of conflict, we actually went back to the very first conflict that we can find in human history. This is between Lucifer and God. Lucifer, who was a light bearer, the light bearer of God, he stood against God because he had a pride issue. He wanted to get recognition for himself. He wanted glory. And he lost that position, that uh, identity as God's light bearer, and became the prince of darkness. And what happened from that day forward was there was a hatred between he and God, a jealousy between he and God. And when God created mankind through vengeance and through a desire to bring destruction, he decided to introduce conflict into humanity. And he did this in a way, in a subtle way, in a seductive way. But what happened was our ancestors, because of a willingness to hear, because of a sense of selfishness that they had, pride, ignorance, for whatever reason, they bought into it. They, they accepted it. And what happened because of that is we, as their ancestor or their, what do you call them, offspring? That seems like a good word. Why not? Offspring, guess what? That acceptance of that carried down to us. And so the very same issue of conflict now is the human experience. Conflict is a daily issue. Who knows, who, who knows conflict almost every day in some way, shape, or form, right? It shows up, Amen. right? You ever have conflict online? Isn't that so crazy? People are like, I'm like, but no one even knows each other. It's just the weirdest, it's a, it's the weirdest thing. But there's this sense of, uh, what do you call it, anonymity. People can be very hurtful. What happens is you see the very root of humanity, that conflicting kind of mindset. You can see it come out of people when they don't have any accountability. So as I said, we looked at that root of conflict. Then we went to the resolution of conflict. And we looked at, as God was working, um, we looked at three different perspectives of looking at this, at this passage that we did in Joshua 6. And what we saw was we looked at it from the historical perspective a prophetic perspective, and a personal perspective, how it applies to us. In the historical, we looked at, here was um, 
Jericho being conquered. Now, what's happened up to this point is the wall, we always hear the walls of Jericho came down. In reality, it's actually just one wall. God keeps up three of the walls and he drops down one wall so that now what's going to happen is there will be complete destruction upon those that oppose God. But also no one's going to escape. Not all walls will fall down and allow them to escape. There's going to be three walls that are still standing. But God's going to bring his judgment upon those that oppose him. And what we saw was the fact through this aspect is the fact that guess what? Right now in the world today, we're in a time called the age of grace where God is holding back his wrath, his judgment, but it is going to come. And in this time frame, what's happening for us when we consider this from a personal perspective is the fact that realizing that the time is running out it needs to give us a sense of urgency, that we would live our Christian lives deliberately, that we would have a heart and a mind focused on the lives of those that need to be, lost, to need to be reached, because the world is filled with darkness. Understand, when the Lord left this earth, He was the light of the world, right? When He left the world, guess what? A spiritual night fell upon this planet. You and I are to shine as lights. It's a picture of the sun and the moon. Jesus is the light. We're to be the sun. or He's the sun. We're the moon. We don't possess the light, but guess what? We're supposed to reflect it to the light around us. And people can see us. They don't see Jesus, but they see the light of his love. And so we see this reflection in us. But what's happening is God comes upon the children of disobedience. What we're to do is supposed to be that, that perspective. We're supposed to reach out to them, to have compassion upon them, to love them in the midst of the darkness, understanding that that's where we used to be. At some point in time in our lives, if we can look back on our history, there was a day when we were in the darkness. Amen. On August 10th, the day before we got saved, guess what? I lived in darkness. Mm -hmm. But on that night, man, when we fell on our knees and got... <laughs> Amen. Amen. Preach. Changed us. Yes. Not because we were worthy, but because He was. Amen. And it was just a ability just to trust in Him. And, uh, but to go from dark to light. And God's desire is that we would take the gospel, the good news, to this hurting and broken world before time runs out. Mm -hmm. And can I tell you that the clock is is ticking. So, um, so last week we talked about the fate of those who would rebel against God. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look as God's heart towards those that have put their faith in him, those that have trusted and are holding on to his promises. And our message this morning is titled Heroes Among Us. Let's pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the word. Uh, God, I know I have prayed diligently and studied through this uh, scripture, and God, I know you have spoken to me. I'm confident of that, and I'm asking you, Lord, now that you would remove the human element, uh, Lord, that I not get in the way. I would ask that you would speak through me, uh, Lord, that I would, uh, if there was any way I could disappear, I would, but Lord, I, I got to be here, so if you'll use me and help me not mess this up, I sure would appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter number six, we're going to be in verses 22 and 23. It says, but Joshua had said unto the two men, that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Keep in mind, this is a war zone. Okay, This is an active war zone. And when I think about this uh, kind of uh, what's going on here? And because I'm a visual person, I'm always kind of running things through my mind. I don't know if you ever watched war movies before. And you see all like you know they're running and boom, 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 and all that stuff's going on. This kind of makes me think of one of those clandestine missions where they send a couple of guys in behind enemy lines to go save somebody who's trapped somewhere, and they got to work their way and get back there. And you know that makes a cool movie and an exciting thing to experience. But realize the fact that in real life there are people that have done that. There are real stories of real people who have risked their lives in the heat of battle to save others. These folks risk themselves. They're heroes. 
And what happens in our country, what we do is we recognize these heroes in the military. We recognize them in several different ways. There's awards that are given. There's the Congressional Medal of Honor, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Navy Cross, the Air Force Cross, and the Silver Star. Now, these medals are awarded for acts of valor and extraordinary bravery in combat. And, and, and I'm rid of that. It immediately brought to mind. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. It's rough. It's rough. But it's about a guy named Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was, a, was, a, was a, uh, a, a kind, considerate, loving man. He was a believer. There he is right there. Um, and Desmond Doss, was in, this is in World War II. And what happened was at the, the place called the Battle of Okinawa, there was a day when there was an absolute slaughter taking place on a battlefield. And Desmond had a heart for people. And what Desmond started doing was he started running out and gathering the wounded taking them, either carrying them on his shoulder or dragging them back. They say that he saved at least 50, somewhere they, some say may, maybe up to 100 men that he personally went back and rescued. Understand, he was unarmed. He was a corpsman. He was a, a medic. And he kept going back and forth. He was wounded four different times. He was shot in the arm by a sniper that blew his arm apart. And he just kept going. Until so much that he was wounded so badly that he had to be carried off the field himself. He, started, he only died in 2006. It's amazing. I mean, the man lived to be a, a very, very, very long age. But what was amazing was the fact that he had this heart that was unlike others, where he was willing to risk himself because of the value that he placed on human life. Not only willing to risk his life, but willing to give his life in service to others. You see, Desmond, he displayed the heart of God, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said this in John 15, 33, 15 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And we know what was in his mind's eye when he said that. Not too, in the not too distant future, he would be laying down his life for his friends. And it's this heart of compassion and sacrifice that we'll see in this passage today. We read this and we don't necessarily see it, but once we start to pull it apart, we're going to see it really, really clearly. We're going to first see a compassionate command. We're going to see a promise honored a faithful response, and a mission fulfilled. I'm going to read those verses to you one more time. Let's read them with that mindset. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp. Now again, keep in mind, as Joshua's orders are going out, what's taking place? This is in the, in the midst of the siege of Jericho. The wall has miraculously fallen down. And what's happening right now is justice and judgment is being meted out upon God's enemies. It is chaotic. It is dangerous. There is confusion everywhere. But notice where Joshua's heart is focused. Joshua, in all of this, his heart is focused on Rahab and her family. And we'll hear this compassionate command. But Joshua had said unto the two men, understand all that's going on, that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath. What we see here is the heart of God being displayed. Joshua, who is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the, literally the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus is Joshua. And we see Joshua and his heart is all about rescuing Rahab and her family. We hear that and we go, Wow. That is truly remarkable when you consider what's going on. We've been studying this. We know there's hundreds of thousands of soldiers pouring into Jericho. There's fighting in the streets. There's screaming. There's yelling. There's battle. There's screams of death going up. And as all of this is taking place, and all of this is taking place in the streets of the city, incredibly, Joshua's focus 
is on this insignificant person, a harlot and her family. He's focused on her, not on the circumstance at hand. And what we find is the heart of God in that. Because guess what? God wants all people to turn to him. But we know Rahab's heart had been given to God. She put her faith in him. And we see this incredible picture of the love of God, the heart of God for humanity. And as we hear that, we go, wow, that's remarkable. Because understand, no matter how insignificant we may feel in this world, and how many of us at some point in time have felt insignificant? You just feel like the world goes on and nobody even sees us. We feel like we have no value at all. You may be as a child, maybe as an adult, maybe even right now you're dealing with that. But can I tell you this? That God sees us. Amen. Yes. With immeasurable worth. Yes. Treasure. So much so that when He was in human form Himself, He saw us at our most wretched and He valued us at our lowest points more than His own life. It's because of that that we get saved. It's because of that we can be redeemed from our sin. It's because of God's love for us. So now if, if with the backdrop of, of Jericho and all that's happening here, knowing ultimately that fire is going to be its destruction, I want us to listen to this passage from 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is pointing to the Lord's return. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. On Wednesday nights, we just did this subject. We're working through long-suffering, right? We're talking about what that means. That is sacrificial patience with humanity. That's what the Lord gives us. It says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heart of God is that every person would turn to Him. That's God's heart. Rahab pictures for us the minority of people that will turn their hearts to God. Unfortunately, the majority will rebel. But understand, what we see in 2 Peter 3 is that every human life is valuable to God. He sees us and values us. His sacrifice on the cross, man, it wasn't for the minority. It was for everybody. Amen. When he's speaking Amen. to Nicodemus that night, and he says to him in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. He says, Nicodemus, do you not realize I'm not here for a couple of chosen individuals? I'm here for everybody. Amen. Any and all who will believe, guess what? I will receive them gladly. I will redeem them, restore them, and give them hope like they've never experienced before. Ooh, and as we know the, the truth of what's taking place here, the time of repentance, unfortunately, the time of forgiveness is going to stop. And when it does, judgment is going to come. And everyone who will face that judgment will not be able to say they did not know the truth. They will not say they didn't have a chance because guess what? Today, God is calling hearts and today people are rebelling against Him as we speak. People sitting in church right now who believe they're saved. They believe they're born again because they had a religious, religious experience or they went through some kind of ritual. But God says, no, 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 no. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made. Amen. Amen. Unto salvation. It's a heart. And when our heart breaks for what, he, what breaks His, and we see ourselves for who we are, and we recognize the fact that our sin damns us to hell, not because we're worse than anybody else, but because, guess what? We need a Savior. That's what the law was for. The law wasn't given to show us a parameter of how we should live. It said, you know what the law does? Is the law goes, guess what? You can't do this. No one can do it. And because of that, you need a Redeemer. That's why I'm here. The law shows us our sin. But judgment is coming. Look at verse 2 Peter 3. It continues. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, maybe a shout, and the elements shall melt 
with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We know from Joshua chapter 6, verse 24, that they will burn the city. It is a picture of what is to come. And so in this account of Jericho, what we see is the loving hand of God rescuing those who put their faith in Him from a world of death that's on its way to destruction so that they would be able to separate themselves from where they came from. Because what was cool about Rahab is, guess what? She recognized when she, took, when she had faith, she was ready to leave then. But she had to wait. She's waiting to separate herself from that world. And do you know that when God saved us, that's what He started in us? Not only did He care enough of us to save us from the penalty of our sin, but the fact that God came where we were. Amen. We were in the house. We were in a rented house in East Charlotte. I'm not sure it is. Is that right? I'm not good with directions. We was in Charlotte. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but we were in this rented house. And guess what? God came right where we were. Amen. Right where we were. Right off of a couch that we'd gotten from my mother-in-law. And we gave it to Eric eventually. <laughs> but He came where we were because He loved us. And the fact that not only did love us and love us enough to come there, but guess what? He had a purpose and a plan for our lives that we didn't understand. Having never been in church my whole life, the idea of doing what I do now was just insanity to me. I would have never in my wildest dreams would have thought that this was what God would choose for me to do. But His whole purpose was to bring us out of where we were to where it is He wanted us to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I have a new life for you. That's my plan. Amen. And that brings us to a second point. A promise honored. Mm. Back in Joshua chapter 2, what we saw was those same two men that we see here, those same two men made their way into Jericho. They went in as spies and Rahab received them. And they brought a message of destruction. And what happened was because based upon her faith in what they said and who it was they represented, what we see here is that she received the message. Not only did she receive the message, but she believed the message. That's key. And then after professing her faith to them and then protecting them, she then, right before helping them to escape, she said, hey, 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 guys, fellas, I want you to make me a promise. I want you to make me a promise that you're going to save me and my family. This is how it went down in Joshua 2, verses 12 through 14. Now, therefore, I pray you, this is, this is her. I want you to notice the way she says here, swear unto me by the Lord, the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized, Jehovah God. She's praying by God. She's literally just received Christ right here. Swear unto me by the Lord, uh, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show, kindness, uh, show, also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, make a vow to me, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they have and deliver our lives from death. Save us. And the man answered her, our life for yours. They make a promise. Look, our lives for yours. We make a promise of our, of our life. If you utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. We will keep our promise. We will keep our promise. And that's what we're seeing today. This is it. This is what's happening. They're going to keep their promise. And remember in the Old Testament, guess what? It's a picture book, right? We know this. As we go through Scripture, we see that the New Testament teaches principles and concepts. The Old Testament teaches those same concepts, but in a picture form. God uses historical records. He uses real people's lives. And what He does is He says, look, I'm going to give you a visual in this thing. And what we see in Rahab, here's someone stuck in her sin, worthy of death. And by faith, she prays for salvation. That's what happens. Hebrews 11.31 11, tells us, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not, and then the believed not when she had received the spies with peace. By faith, Rahab is saved. Rahab is a picture of us. She's a picture of us. As we heard the good news, 
And we also heard the bad news of the coming judgment of God. By faith, we trusted in the promise, and God saved us. Amen. See, it says Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord yes. shall be saved. There's a promise. Yes. That's a promise Jesus. from God. And praise God that He always keeps His promises, Amen. that He is faithful. Because it's because of His character. It's because of His character, and it's because of His character and who He is that we can have assurance of our salvation. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of how we lived our lives. I grew up thinking that if I was a good person that I would go to heaven mm -hmm. because the only godly influence I had in my life was cartoons. And in the cartoons, bad guys got horns and a forked tail and they went to hell. And guess what the good guys got? Wings. And they flipped to heaven. And I'm like, well, I must be being a good person. So that's what I'm going to strive for. That's all I knew. And you know what? I'm not alone. There's a lot of people probably sitting here who used to think the same thing. There's yes. people outside all around us as you have conversations. They're going to think the same thing. But what we find is the fact that God said, look, you know what? It's not about you. It's not about the life that you lived. It's about who, who I am. Amen. And it's the gift that I gave through my life. Yes. It's his sacrifice that saves us. It is not us as people. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice it says, not of yourselves. What that means is, it's not you. It's not you. It's not the things that you do. It's not the, things, it's not the life that you live. It is by grace, by, God, by God's grace to offer you that gift, and by faith that you receive it. And as a child of God, guess what? Not only does He save us, but He calls us to be more. He calls us to use this life for his glory, to come out of the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The God of perfection and the universe and love will look at us and say, Come on. You belong over here with me. Imagine that, knowing who we were. Knowing who we are. Because I'm still stuck in this stupid body of flesh, and guess what? Every day I'm like, Man, I can't. This body, man. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. I'm not like, praise God, bless you. <laughs> I would like to say that I do. And sometimes I'm like, you idiot. Rawr! And then I'm like, that's not good. Right? But we're all just flesh. We're stuck in this stupid thing. This thing's not redeemed. My soul and my spirit are redeemed. But guess what? My body's still stuck on this earth. And as long as you're in this thing, you've got to deal with the struggle. This is the fight. Yep. So, as we, that wasn't my message. But anyway, that just was a little freebie. But what, what we find is the fact that um, believers can sometimes be consumed by the world around them, especially new believers. People get saved. We think about a newborn baby. When a newborn baby is born, we don't set them out on the curb and say, hope you make a good life out of this thing. Go get them, buddy. No. What do we do? We care for them. We protect them. We cherish them. We walk with them. And what we see is the fact that they're vulnerable in the beginning. They're vulnerable to the influences that are around them. If you're saved and you're not in an environment where somebody's going to teach you and train you and help you and protect you, guess what? You can be consumed by this world. You can be drawn into false religion and all kinds of garbage. Amen. But what happens is there is this uh, aspect of people that who literally have been set free because they've received Christ who can still feel as if they are trapped. Mm -hmm. yes. It's a lie, but it doesn't mean that they don't believe it. See, a, a lie only has value when we take it as truth. Mm -hmm. A lie, when it's recognized, is nothing more than a mere inconvenience. But see, this is kind of like where Rahab is. In her own strength right now, she does not have the ability to escape Jericho. Right. Notice. So Joshua, 
a picture of Jesus. Sends his trusted men to help her to escape. Notice this, Joshua 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, you already know her, go into the, house, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. So we know that Rahab and her family, they're going to be spared death. But guess what? The young men's job, their commitment, is not fulfilled until they bring her out of Jericho. This is important to understand. They need to go get her. It's not over. Just like when you and I, God bless you, just like when you and I, if we win someone to the Lord, guess what? Our job is not over. Right. It's not just about winning them to the Lord and be like, well, good luck. No, what happens is we notice when we were in Matthew 28 last week. And in that verse, as we read through it, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's step one. God bless you. Step one, that's reaching them. Step two, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Step three, which is discipleship, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. God says, look, you know what? This is what I'm calling you to do. And guess what? I'll be with you. I'll help you through each one of the steps. Salvation, baptism, discipleship. Our commitment is not complete until we do our very best to make sure that we've done all three. Now, we cannot force people. There are some people that will not listen. Some people are hard-headed. I don't know that you probably have never experienced anybody like that in your life, but I personally have run into a few. And it can be frustrating because we have, uh, the, we have the greatest expectation for this person. We know what a walk with God, a close walk with God feels like. And we're like, man, if you could experience this. Dude, if you could just know what I'm talking about, if you could just know it, and, and it's, it's, you can have it. Anybody can. If you're willing to give your heart to Christ, if you're willing to, to seek Him, to follow Him, to, 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 to desire to be like Him, guess what? You can experience it too. And some people will believe us and they'll go, you know what? Hey, I'm in. Others, they may not. What we find is the fact that here we're talking about discipleship. And then there's an interesting detail that's here, which I think is so awesome, which is the amazing wisdom of God through Joshua sending the same two men. He sends the same ones. And you know why that's so important? Because they already have a relationship with her. She does not know any Israelites but those two men. So what happens where she would be fearful of these men that are pouring in, thousands of them fighting in the street. She's hearing the screams and all this stuff like that. Two guys come up and bang on the door. She doesn't know. Rahab, open the door. Ah! But what if it's Rahab, it's us. <gasps> right? She's more willing to hear. And listen in the discipleship process. One of the greatest things we can do is if you win somebody to the Lord, man, it's the most wonderful thing in the world if you can be the one that can develop them, if you can be the one that can disciple them and grow with them. That's such an amazing thing. And sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes people have been saved for 20 years, but they've never developed, they've never grown. And you know what happens in those instances? We pray. God, team this person up with the right person in their life right now. And we pray over it. When God gives us peace, we go, great, let's make that relationship happen. But it becomes one of the things that's led by the Lord. And what we see is we see discipleship here and what Joshua is directing these men to do. Do you notice the wording that he uses? Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear. See, he says, go where she is. Go into her house and bring her out. Go in. It doesn't say call her out or direct her out. It says bring her out. That means they're going to go where she is. If it's dirty, if it's burning, if whatever situation, they're going to go where she is and they're going to walk with her out of where she is and try to get her straight on the path to the Israelite camp out of Jericho. Amen. Just like we, when we're discipling somebody, walk down the road of redemption for this person and help them in spiritual maturity and growth, we've got to go where they are. 
What an amazing parallel God shows us in this scripture. So we've seen a compassionate command. And we've seen a promise honored. Let's look at a faithful response. Verse 23. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. So the same men who risked their lives to reach her in Jericho are now the exact same men that are going in again risking their lives to rescue her out of there. And it's interesting that it uses the term young men. It's important. God uses every word for a reason. There's a purpose. So we see this and we go, okay. Now we remember that God uses historical accounts and things like that to teach us principles and ideas. But guess what he also does? He goes to the physical world. He goes to the physical world and he uses the physical world and examples in the physical world to teach us biblical truth. And what we do here is what we're going to recognize is the fact that God's going to use the developmental steps of humanity, the growth of humanity. He's going to use it to show us the spiritual levels of maturity. We'll see here, if you go to 1 Peter 2.2, 2, you'll see God talks about the, the, the newborn babe. It's talking about that, that person who's just gotten saved. But then he talks about the aged in, in Jude 2.2. 2. And you see there, what he's talking about is those that are developed. Those are the, those are the, 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 the warriors who stood, the, 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 the Sams and the Stellas, uh, the Lorettas, who have gone through the battles and have said, you know what? My heart is set on Him. I don't care what the world throws at me. I will not waver. I will not change. My heart is set on Him. And as we work on through that, I want to show, just touch on a portion of Scripture right here in 1 John 2, verses 12 and 14. 12 through 14. It says, I write unto you, little children. Remember the picture God's working through. It says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. For his name's sake. You've you received Christ, praise God. I write unto you fathers because you have known him. That is from the beginning. He's going to repeat this phrase in a moment. You have known him from the beginning. You know the God of the universe. You have a relationship with him that is grounded and strong and secure. Notice this. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Now understand, they know how to defend themselves. He says next, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. They have an understanding of who God is. They're saved and they know who He is, but they don't know Him like the Father does. I have written unto you fathers because you have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the Word of God abideth in you. This is key. The Word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. You can use the Word of God. You can use the sword of the Spirit and go to battle. Man, y'all are killing me. It's true. You're making me cry, Miss Karen. Stop. She starts crying. I'm like, oh, stop. I gotta get a look at her. I'm not, you keep on. Sorry. I'll cry anyway. But understand that if we, as we take that, these concepts, right, and we understand this, what God's trying to show us through these pictures, and then we relate this to our story, knowing that God's always teaching on multiple levels. We're, te- we're learning a historical lesson, absolutely. We're learning a, a, a personal application lesson. But guess what else? He's teaching other things. We could see Rahab, and we would say, guess what she is? A newborn babe. It's just been a very short period of time. She's not had any influence. She's a newborn babe. So here she is, defenseless spiritually. And so Joshua, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ with the heart of God. Listen to what happens. He sends young men to guide her. Right? Young men. They're strong in the word. They can fight against the wicked one. Amen. They can protect her. So they go alongside her. And not only do they tell her, hey, no, no, no. They go to her and they bring her out. And they walk with her every step of the way. And what we see here, Jericho, we know is a picture of the world. It's a picture. And we know the world is ruled by the wicked one. And what did it tell us in John 4, John, 1 John 2? 
Because ye are strong in the world, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. You know how to fight. And you know what? There are Christians in this world that don't know how to fight, man. They go out in the world and they get eaten alive by the enemy. And they need someone to come alongside them to say, hey, 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 no, no. Get behind me. Amen. For right now, you get behind me. I'll take the shots. Sometimes that's your children. They're going to go through something and guess what you got to do? Step in the line of fire for them. See, Joshua is sending the strong to rescue the weak. Amen. Not just rescue them, but to bring them to him. Yeah. To get them to the Israelite camp. And you say discipleship is the very same thing. Listen, there are some Christians that, you know what, that they, they're saved. And, and, and the problem is that they just don't, they have a heart for God, but they don't know the word of God. You meet people and you can spend time talking to them and they're so ignorant of the word, not that they don't want to know it, but they've not been in an environment where they've ever been taught it. They've never really learned it and they, everything just seems to be new to them. They're like, wow, 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 wow. I was at the gym. Uh, I, I, I always end up in these biblical conversations at the gym. I'm always looking for people and stuff like that. And I was talking to this guy and I was sharing with him in Genesis 22 the picture, what happens there, the picture of the Savior and all that's taking place with the, with the ram, the male ram with, caught in the, in the thicket with his, by his horns. Man, it's a picture of a crown of thorns. All the pictures that are there, it's pointing to the crucifixion. It's in the very same mountain chains, the Mountain Moriah mountain chain. There, it could be literally the same place where Jesus is, 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 is crucified. And I told him, I said, do you ever know that was in there? And he's like, dude, that's amazing. And I was like, yeah. I said, the Bible's got so much stuff and it's unreal. And there's so many people like that. They have a heart for God, but they don't know the word. There's other people that know the word, but guess what? They don't know how to apply it. They've got a lot of head knowledge, but the problem is they don't know how to get into their life. They can talk about the Bible, but they don't know how to live the Bible. Then we have other people that are just, they just get consumed by the world around them. They're so caught up with the world and all the things that it has to offer, all the trappings that are here, that they don't even know that their relationship is secure. They can be taught that they can lose their salvation and all kinds of lies like that. And we look at this and we go, wow, okay. So here's the discipleship process. But understand, with each one of those, some of them are easy to get in discipleship. Others are harder. But the thing is, the hard thing is getting them to finish. A lot of people start. But it's getting them to stick with it. Because the devil will attack. Amen. He'll try to discourage. He'll try to distract. He'll do all that he can. And what happens in this situation with this is you and I, as we step into discipleship, on either side, as a disciple or a discipler, you are stepping onto a spiritual battlefield. You will get a target on your back. And where the devil didn't feel like he needed to mess with you before, guess what he's going to do? He's going to do all that he can to try to distract you, to try to hurt you, to try to deter you, to do whatever he possibly can. Mm -hmm. Because understand, our goal in discipleship is to develop this person and their spiritual growth to help them, not only to understand who God is, but to become an overcomer through the power of God. That's the beautiful thing. The things that used to stumble and trip them up when they start to walk with God and you see those same things no longer have the power they used to have. And they start to see the little bits of victory. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. It's like going to the gym. Right? You go to the gym and in the very beginning, guess what? You go and guess when you leave the, the first day, you're like, it's not so bad. Next day when you wake up, you're like, I can't get out of bed. Ah! <laughs> you can't be put on, like, put on a shirt. You're like, ah, ah, honey, honey, I, 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 I cannot put this. I just, I, I, okay, I'm just going to wear a robe. I mean, whatever. You, you can't even get dressed. You can't climb steps. It hurts. But when you stick with it, 
over a period of time, you don't get so sore. You get stronger. And you can look at it and go, man, look at the results I'm getting. And what's amazing, when people start to get results, sometimes you know what they do? Stop going to the gym. They look at their results and go, man, down to 34 pants. Honey, let's go get pizza. <laughs> then a month later, like, dang, man, these are tight. Gosh, I get back to the gym. And it's just flip-flop. Yeah. Discipleship's the same thing. We start to get spiritual victory. We start to grow a little bit. And the next thing you know, we take, become complacent. And then we find ourselves discouraged. And that's the whole thing. The devil is going to, if we don't stay focused upon, the, upon what it is we're trying to accomplish and stay on target, guess what? We will be drawn away. God has a purpose and a plan. And as the devil comes against us, understand, child of God, there's some encouragement for you. 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our strength is not in us. It's our dependence upon him. If we think it's in you, you are going to fall. And if we hold on to that truth, we hold on to that, and we keep our eyes on our Joshua, and we keep leading them out of Jericho, Man, we can bring the Rahabs of this world from being spiritually fragile to spiritually fierce in the army of God. They can become a threat to the kingdom of this world. Because understand, God has a purpose and a plan. And if we will do that, then guess what they'll do? They'll be able to do that for someone else. And the process continues, which is exactly the plan God had. He's all given us the same mission. The question is, will we answer the call? So when it comes to discipleship, understand, if we consider it to a military kind of thinking, there's no hazard pay. In fact, it will cost us. Amen. It will cost us. It will cost us time. It will cost us our attention, and it will cost us our energy. We will deal with frustration as well as many times disappointment because we'll want it sometimes more for a person than they want it for themselves. And we're so excited about their future. And the devil will do something just to shift their perspective. And you know what's amazing? If you change your perspective just a little bit here and you give it some time, guess where it ends up? You ever play golf? I don't play golf, but I've been to the golfing field. No, what's it called? Driving range. Driving range. Golfing field. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm going to the golfing field. Okay. <laughs> but if we go to the driving range... And you hit that ball, if you hit it just pin straight, it goes like a rocket. But if you hit it just two or three degrees off, when it leaves you, you're like, oh, it looks pretty good. Oh, no. Uh, oh, gosh. Watch out, right? As the further it gets out, the further it goes off course. That's the way the devil works. He just wants to knock us off a little bit. And if you stay on that incorrect course, you will eventually be where he wants you, which is way off course. So as we're doing this and as we're working through discipleship, it will be frustrating. It will sometimes be uh, discouraging even. But can I just tell you this? Just stick with it. Amen. Because I'm just telling you, one day when we stand before the Lord and He judges our life, the things done in this body, there will be few things in this world, in that world, or with God that will have anywhere close to the value of the investment that we made in the discipleship for God's kingdom and His glory. On that day, we won't be worried about the struggle. On that day, we won't be worried about the frustration. On that day, when God says, who's here because of you? And somebody says, me. Amen. And then someone says, I'm here because of them. Amen. And the chain goes down and you realize that God used you 
inadvertently, maybe directly to reach one, but gosh, he could reach thousands. I think about, I think about my wife who has won people to the Lord all over the planet. And I think about that night when Tony shared the gospel with us. And you know that all that goes to his account? That God says, you know what? Because you were faithful, Tony, and you shared the gospel with her, all those lives that she's touched all over the world and all the ones that they've touched, guess what? I'm going to give you credit for those too. Praise the Lord. How amazing is God? We're so unworthy, and yet He is so good. God has been so faithful to us. And what we see here today is we've witnessed the compassionate command. We've seen this promise honored. We've seen a faithful response, and now we're going to see a mission fulfilled. You're going to make me cry. You're getting me. I'm, I can already feel it. I got my tissue ready. All right, so we've already stated that this is an active war zone. We recognize the fact that right now, death, destruction, confusion, all this is going on. In the midst of this hellish situation, notice that Joshua sends these, young, these men, these young men, to go reach Rahab and bring her to safety. But not only does it go get Rahab and her family and bring her to safety, but it says, and he also tells her to bring, to, it says, it says believe her belongings as well. I couldn't get that out. Verse 23. And brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And we see that here. And we go, what it's talking about is those things that were of value to her. It's a picture of complete redemption. Complete redemption. We're here. God goes far above and beyond. Amen. His mercy goes so far beyond that He's not only willing to save her and her family, but even those things that she values in this life. And it's an example of that extreme mercy that I think some of us can relate to. Amen. When we think about the extreme mercy God displayed to us, not only to come where we were and to save us, but then to bless us. If we sat down and we made a list of our blessings... Our ability to talk, walk, breathe, hear, think. Our families, the people that have loved us through our lives, our church, whatever it is, all the blessings God's given us. He's made provision for us. We're all here. We had food to eat. We have clothing to wear. We had a way to transport ourselves. We're here because of His provision. He's given us His Word. He's preserved it throughout time and said, you know what? Here it is. Amen. And in our day and age, man, we can have a, you can have it on your computer. You can have it on your phone. You can have it everywhere. You have access to the Word of God, and yet people are more ignorant of the Word than they've ever been in history. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of access. It's a matter of the, of the heart. Yeah. And God's called us into His service. Imagine that. I know who I am. I know who I was. I know what it is that I've done and the people that I've hurt in my life. I know the depth of my sin and I know how much destruction I've caused in people that did not deserve it. Yet God saw me. He said, I'm going to call you to do something different. Only God. Only God. Amen. So listen, if you're saved today, you know the Lord. It's... It's, it's high time that we stop identifying with Rahab in this story. Right. You and I need to identify with those two young men. That's who we need to be. We're all about being Rahab, but that's not the end of the story. God's got a purpose and a plan. And we do this through growing in His Word, through living a life that's righteous, that seeks and surrender our lives and our hopes to Him. Not my dreams for my life, but what God's dreams are for my life. That's what we need. Because God's plans are always better than ours. Amen. And if we strengthen ourselves spiritually and we give ourselves to His service, we can be successful. These young men are successful in their mission. Notice in verse 23, And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. 
So not, not, not only did these men safely deliver Rahab and her family, but I want you to notice this. They dropped them off at the edge of the camp and they went back to fight. It says they left them without the camp of Israel. And you see, that's what real heroes do. They're not just in it for the mission that they're set on at the moment. They're in it for the battle as a whole. And there are people that short-term live their lives. You know what I used to do, brother? Oh, I used to have a ministry here, there, and da-da-da-da-da. What about now? Well, you know, I'm kind of in retirement mode now. Oh, really? You have breath in your lungs. Guess what? Your life is supposed to make a difference. Amen. The way you live, the things you say, the what, you, what you choose yes. to, to, to do with your, with your time. It should have an eternal purpose. Yes. And we recognize the fact that these men were successful, and immediately they said, you know what? We're going back to fight. We're going back to the battle. Amen. And I, can I tell you this, man, as believers... We're engaging with the enemy every day. That's right. He's battling against us every single day that victory is coming. It's not in us. It's in Him. Romans 3, uh, 8, verses 34 through 37. I'm almost done. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He says, look, while you're in the fight, guess what? I'll be with you in the fight. I will be along your side. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He literally lists everything physically, that could, every adversity you can possibly imagine. And, and, and says, listen, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed. All the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What he's telling you is, guess what? You're in a spiritual war. Amen. You are fighting every day. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things, all those adversities he listed for us, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not us, through him. And in this battle, there are Rahabs that need to be rescued. No doubt about it. You may be in this church. The question is, will we go to get them? Will we take the responsibility to lead them out? Listen, it's not easy. But nothing that is worthwhile ever is. It takes dedication. Paul, who is probably the greatest example out of Jesus' followers of being a discipler, a soul winner, man, he was on fire for the world, for the Lord. And he fell in love with the Word, and he fell in love with Christ. And you know what he told, second, he told uh, his disciple Timothy before his death in, in Timothy, uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verses 5 through 7. But watch you, it says, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. You're going to be fighting. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. While you're in the midst of your fight, don't lose sight of why it is you're here. Make full proof of thy ministry. Follow the example that I've given you, Timothy, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. He's saying, look, I have been on the battlefield. Since I got saved, I went into the war. And guess what? I've been fighting every single day. Not for me. I've been trying to win the loss. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul won the lost. He discipled them. And guess what he did? He gave his life to discipling those people, those converts, to make them faithful soldiers in the army of God. His purpose was to help them to become something that God created them to be. He lived a sacrificial life for God because he modeled himself after the Lord Jesus Christ. And understand, it's because of his heart. It's because of his heart for those that were trapped in spiritual darkness that he was willing to do Whatever it took, whatever the cost, suffer whatever he needed to suffer in order to reach them. 
that heart of sacrifice. See, it epitomized him as a spiritual hero. He's one of my biggest heroes, man, in the Bible. Look upon him, wow, could I be like, like that? He was a man like us, a different heart. But as we look at this, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. As we look at the state of our world and the, and the, the deep spiritual need that exists all around us, and we look in our own hearts. Are there heroes among us? There need to be. Yes. Amen. If we fall in love with the word and we're willing to give all that we have for the glory of God, he can use us for his glory, which is what this is all about. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for your word for the message you've given us. Thank you, God, for insight into the Scripture and the Holy Spirit of God that guides and directs us. I do thank you for that. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, look, you know, Pastor, I've struggled. Uh, I need prayer. I know God expects more of me, and I'm just not where I need to be. I need to surrender more of myself. I need to look into my own life. I need to be that young man that's willing to risk for others. And I have a desire to be used of God but I'm just not there. Pray for me. If that's you, lift your hand and say, look, that's me. I need prayer. Pray for me that God will do a work in my life. Amen. I see that. Anybody else? Say, look, you know what? That's me. God, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. If you're here today, say, look, I don't know the Lord. Hey, I understand what that feels like. When I was asked 20 years ago, they said, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I said, I hope so. But I had no clue. I was based on being a good person. And thank God they took the time to share with me that it wasn't about me. It was about what Christ had done on the cross. And it was his love for me that would save me. It was my willingness to recognize that I was the problem and he was the solution. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, call upon the name of the Lord. That just simply means that we give him our heart. We surrender it to our Savior. If you're here today, you're online, and you've never done that. It's not a magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. This is just a matter of you talking to him. And I can tell you, he's listening as we speak. If you feel his call, all you have to do is respond. What I'm going to do is give you an opportunity to do just that. I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ as your Savior. I'm going to simply lead you in prayer. It will not be the words of the prayer, but the heart of surrender behind it. If you pray this prayer and you're sincere with God, he will save you. Let's pray. Repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so very sorry for the way I failed you. I understand that you love me. I understand that you died for me. And through that death, you give me a way to be redeemed. Today, I come to you with a broken heart, willing to receive that gift, willing to put my faith and trust in you. God, will you come into my heart, come into my life, and save my soul? Lord, I trust in you. Help me live for you. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Lord, for those that have said they're struggling and they need your hand, I do pray, God, that you will bless and guide and direct. Give them a spiritual clarity that they've never had before. Set them on the course of being that young man, that soldier for the cross that makes a difference in this world for eternity. And for those that receive Christ today, 
I do pray that you'll direct and guide them, Father. Help us to come alongside them, to be those ones that they need, to help them to grow, to mature, to walk with you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the life you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.